0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined as always by... Our fearless leader at Horns, twenty-four-seven, the managing editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Chip, but uh, probably not as good as you, since you just got back from vacation in Mexico. So I'm a little, little jealous of that. But you know, other than that, I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Tell you what, it was, it was great. I'm, my, my batteries are recharged. I'm,
1: I'm,
0: all excited to talk some Texas football today, and, um, and you know some other things going on too. And, uh, and a reminder to everyone to check out the flagship podcast interview from uh, that was put out on Monday Uh, an interview with Rick Neuheisel, who knows Steve Sarkeesian well, is also a former head coach at Washington. In addition to being uh, the head coach at UCLA and Colorado, some really interesting points that he makes about Steve Sarkeesian um, his past and just things that he'll have to manage that are unique to Texas. Uh, New Heisel's a go-to analyst for CBS uh college football with our man Brian Jones, who we need to get on the flagship podcast and short do. Order.
1: We
0: I haven't BJ seen CJ
1: in a while. I haven't seen him in years or talked to him in a while. We gotta get that going for yeah, sure.
0: That guy, he he's probably he's probably down in the Caribbean or something having Ooh. uh Uh, Some sun, some sun time is, as he calls it, but uh, check that out. The flagship podcast on Mondays and Taylor, we, you know, as soon as the news came down yesterday, uh, we're recording on Wednesday this week that Texas would be playing Arkansas on September 11th at six o'clock at night. I was like gulp because Um, I was there in 2004 when the number seven ranked Texas Longhorns with Vince Young and all the dudes that would ultimately win a national championship the next year went to Fayetteville, Arkansas against an unranked Arkansas team and barely got out alive. They, um, thanks to Larry Dibbles, my man, Larry Dibbles, who, Big, big fella, defensive lineman, war number one, only defensive lineman, like defensive tackle, not, not defensive end, you know, guy with a gut Wearing number yeah. one, he played like it that night. Cause he, he stripped, uh Matt Jones of the football as they were going in to score. They only needed a field goal, Taylor. They ended Texas won this game 22 to 20. I thought they were dead and Dibbles forces the fumble, Texas recovers, they get out alive, but the atmosphere, the tailgating, I just remember how rabid those fans were and they had not been conference partners since 1991 in the Southwest conference when Arkansas left to join the sec. And if you talk to most Arkansas fans, they wish they were still in the big 12 where they had, Rivalries with teams like Texas that mattered to them, and and so when I saw six o'clock kick for September 11th, and it's an Arkansas team that went three and seven last year, so they looked like rubbish, but they have good coaches and they have everyone back, and they played close games like they should have been awarded the win at Auburn because the stupid quarterback for Auburn tried to spike the ball, but he spiked it backwards. And that's a, that's a fumble, right? Um, you know, that's a lateral. So it, it just, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, this is a, this is a dangerous game for Texas.
1: I mean, it's definitely not, I don't think it's going to be, you know, an, an easy environment. I think that a lot of us assumed it would probably be a night game, you know, um, with it being a week two matchup, these, this is one of, you know, the bigger um, non-conference games on Texas schedule in addition to Louisiana. I, I agree. I do think that, that last year Arkansas was a better team than their records showed and they do return everyone. But I mean, do you think this is really like you you're worried for Texas? Well, you think? So here's, here's the
0: problem. And maybe I'm still suffering from whiplash from the Tom Herman era. But even the Charlie Strong era, right? All these games against teams like Cal and BYU where fans had it penciled in as a win before the season started. Maryland, good heavens. Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Maryland and the opening game of the Tom Herman era. Well, it's those games where Texas has to bring all their energy because the other team looks at it as the Super Bowl. They've been preparing all summer long thinking about Texas and we're going to beat Texas and we're going to make our season by beating Texas. And meanwhile, Texas is like, man, we better have it going by the time we play TCU or play the big 12 schedule. And it just, you know, it Taylor kids today with their social media if it's not an opponent where everyone's buzzing about it on social media, a top ten matchup or this or that, although this is going to be in prime time um, on September 11th on a day where there's not a whole lot going on, if you look at the national schedule, I think that's why some people at Texas I talked to thought it might be a 2:30 game on CBS because CBS never gets Texas because they're the SEC um, network. And, and so, you know, they were thinking, Oh, maybe CBS will grab us at 2:30. and you and I both know from covering the red river shootout that those games at 11 and two 30 are different from night games when the tailgaters have been in their cooler all day long and are just ramped and saying stuff. Maybe they would never say, but right. I just remember in 2004 going to Fayetteville and walking on campus after I got out of my car and they were calling the hogs nonstop. You'd have thought that Arkansas never left the Southwest Conference or never left being conference mates with Texas. And Look, part of that is Arkansas is a proud state. They got the Walton family. They got Walmart. They got Jerry Jones. They're, you know, Bill Clinton. They've had a president. They're like, hey, we like who we are. We're, we're good. And you Texans think you're all full of this and that. And we, we always like to show you what's going on. Not to mention, if we jump in the DeLorean and go back to the 1960s, when Texas and Arkansas were determining who won the national championship. In 1961, right. in 63, 64, 69, when Texas um, beat them in the game of the century with President Nixon in attendance, when Daryl Royal and Frank Broyles were the coaches of those programs. I mean, it was Texas and Arkansas every year. That was the game. You'd have thought that it, we were still in those times when I walked that campus in 2004 for that game. So I may be suffering from old man syndrome or either just nostalgia or something. Maybe it's completely different, but I don't think so. I don't think so. So I just look at this where Texas has to get all kinds of fired up. And Steve Sarkeesian's a California guy. He's a Pac-12 guy. Now, he's been in the SEC. He prepared for Arkansas last year. He beat the brakes off of Arkansas last year. 52 to 3, but that was an Alabama team with six first round draft picks on it. Five of them were on offense. Sark doesn't have those guys yet at Texas. I don't know, Taylor. I think this game is gonna be harder than Texas fans think. And and a lot of the older Texas fans at Horns 24-7 are already talking about it. Oh no, you know, this is an ambush. And part of that is probably because. They have lost to Maryland and Cal and BYU. Blah, blah, blah. And don't even get me started on the Louisiana game. Right. I, I did an interview in Alabama yesterday with these guys were like, Louisiana's going to be favored in that game. I'm like, Oh, good Lord. Is yeah. Louisiana really going to be favored coming off a 10 and one season? They're going to be favored over Texas in Austin. Come on. Vegas would never let that happen. Would they?
1: I mean, they might, if you look at the way that some of Texas games have gone, these non-conference early season games have gone for Texas, they might. I mean, who, who would have thought that, you know, Texas would have lost to Maryland, not once, but twice in two years. Same with BYU. I mean, those two schools, Texas never, ever, ever needs to schedule again. I mean, it's just like, you're, you're asking for it at that point. I mean, it's basically like, if a coach wants to maybe lose their job or be on the hot seat, schedule BYU or Maryland, you know, those are the type of games, but this Arkansas game, I mean, Chip look back at 2014 when Texas played Arkansas in the Texas bowl. I mean, that was a, I mean, what did Texas have 59 total yards of offense two total rushing yards after that game? I mean, and like Arkansas fans, even there, they showed up to Houston And I remember, I mean, I was getting annihilated on Twitter just, and I'm like, not a fan, you know, I'm like, I'm a media member covering this game. It's like the things. Yeah. It's like the things that Arkansas fans were saying to me, I'm like, Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. I'm neutral here. Like, don't, don't call me out on this. Like, you know, but yeah, I mean, this is, there's definitely no, no reason for Texas to go into this game thinking that they're going to come out with just an easy win. And I don't think, that Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, I don't know, we'll have to see how Steve Sarkeesian has his team prepared. Um, but I think that there are a lot of fans that probably do feel that way, the same way that you do, not just with the history with Arkansas, but just with the games that Texas have lost over the last 10 years that they shouldn't have lost or all, you know, probably a little bit less than 10 years, but you know, probably 10, you know, like there were games that are played way too close. I mean, You know, Tom Herman's teams, they never blew, hardly blew anyone out, you know? And so that was four years that Texas fans are used to barely skating by or losing to teams um, that they shouldn't be losing to. So I I hear where where you're coming from. I I can't believe that there would be people that said that Louisiana would be favored over Texas (laughs) during the season, but who knows? I mean, you know, I, I don't think Vegas would do that, but I don't think Vegas had them you know, Maryland favorite over Texas either back then. I'm not sure though,
0: but Texas was a double digit favorite in the first meeting against Maryland under and Tom Herman's first game as head coach. And, and then the next year, Texas was favored by like eight and they lost again. That one was up at, um, FedEx field Mm -hmm. in, you know, DC. And so yeah, that that stuff has got to come to an end. Now, if you listen um, listen to the podcast interview with Rick Neuheisel um, this week, because he talks about how he thinks the coaching staff that Sark has put together is going to be super fundamentally sound, and Texas is not going to beat itself the way it has. In the past, the way it has in those games against Maryland and, you know, going for it on fourth down willy nilly and turning the ball over. And, you know, he just feels like the staff is going to be, have this team fundamentally sound so that they're not beating themselves. I mean, think about the Iowa state game last year, Taylor, they're up 10 in the third quarter, and then they go for it on a fake punt and fail And the momentum shifts, and it started this Iowa State comeback. They didn't need to go for it right there. They just needed to punt them deep, play defense, keep going the way it it was working. And and that's the kind of stuff I think that Sark and this staff need to make sure that they have all buttoned up after that game against Louisiana, because I think both of those games are dangerous games anytime you're – the team that the other guys can't wait to get their hands on and you're kind of meh about, ah, you know, telling the girls down on sixth street, ah, yeah, we're playing Louisiana, you know, it'll be, you come watch. It's going to be, it's going to be nice, you know? Well, look, stranger things have happened. We've seen it. And, and I've said yeah. get out of those first two games with wins And the Steve Sarkeesian era is off to a great start. You could lose to TCU and OU and Iowa State because those are games that Texas has lost in the past, recent past, Mm -hmm. and finish nine and three with Bijan Robinson, you know, maybe becoming a Heisman finalist. We'll get to him in a second. Texas fans will be okay with that. Win your bowl game, get to 10 wins in year 1 of Sark I've said hope for the Mac Brown plan cuz that's what Mac did in his first year went 9 and 3 beat Mississippi State in the Cotton Bowl Ricky won the Heisman and everyone was like all right this is good let's go and you know 8 years later Mac won a conference title but it and a national championship in the same year but Sark look Lou Holtz told Mac Brown I love this quote every time you lose a game you're supposed to win. You lose a percentage of your fan base. And he said, the only way you can get them back is by winning games that you were supposed to lose. Mm -hmm. And so Texas has got to stop losing games to teams. They're expected to beat.
1: Yeah. Matt Matt
0: did a good job when it came to that. And Steve Sarkisian needs to do the same thing. Tom Herman, he had too many, what, seven, eight, losses to unranked teams when Texas was ranked in four seasons, that's two a year. Yeah. Oh, no good.
1: No, no. And like, even like that Iowa state game last year, I mean, Texas led the game for 58 minutes of the game clock, 58 out of 60 they led, Hello? but thankfully for Texas fans, the binder probably has been burned and torn to shreds and Sarkeesian I think the best advice we can give you, never mention a binder. Never mention it. Don't go for if it on fourth one, down. Say, I don't know
0: what you're talking about.
1: No clue. I have no clue what a binder is. <laughs> act like that is a foreign language, a foreign concept to you, because I think you'll win over Texas fans for sure if you do that early on.
0: Did you notice the binder? Like Herman always said the binder backed him up in whatever decision he made.
1: Yeah even I mean, though they always were failed decisions. It's like, well, maybe your binder is wrong. I don't know what to tell you
0: here. I mean, <laughs> when they like failing you.
1: Bachelor.
0: He don't care. He's yeah. like, I don't know what the binder said, but I'll just tell him. I'm the
1: smartest person in the room. So don't question like,
0: me. <laughs> not my fault. The binder yeah. said it. Binder. It's, all those,
1: it's all those assistant coaches that clearly it's not their fault that it's happening.
0: Oh, man. Well, yeah, let's, let's hope that Steve Sarkeesian... Um, doesn't have a binder,
1: no binder, (laughs) no binder, 21. (laughs) And
0: let me just throw this out there in the first two games of the year, just take the points when they present themselves, you got a great kicker, Cameron Dicker, just take those points and keep, keep inching along and gathering up your points and you'll be fine at the end. I mean, think back to that Maryland game that Herman lost by 10 and he went for it on fourth down twice. And both times Maryland converted those failed fourth downs into touchdowns. Imagine if you just punt the ball or kick the field goal. Anyway, you get my point.
1: All right. We
0: mentioned, we mentioned Bijan Robinson and look, we can't talk enough about this guy, this off season, this summer on the flagship podcast, anywhere, your water cooler, Because the guy averaged 8.2 yards per carry. He only got 86 carries, so he didn't hit 1,000 yards. But, I mean, if there's a better bet for a guy or a better bet regarding this Texas Longhorns football team in 2021, then Bijan Robinson becoming UT's first 1,000-yard rusher since Deontay Foreman. In 2016, Deontay Foreman ran for 2,028 yards that year. I don't know what that bet would be, Taylor, because, I mean, Sark, it, all he does is produce 1,000-yard rushers. I would mm-hmm. suggest everyone go to the morning brew for Wednesday and and just look at the list. It's pretty impressive from his five years at Washington and his only full season at USC. He had a thousand yard rusher in every one of those seasons. So this guy and they all catch the football and Bijan Robinson is perfect. I mean, he fits that. He fits that description perfectly. So I'm like, put Bijan down for a thousand yards and let's go. How about you? Yeah,
1: I think so too. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about how Texas, um, you know, is going to be breaking in a new quarterback, there hasn't really been the flashy type of receiver. That's been a go-to receiver that Texas has really had honestly, since probably Colin Johnson and Devin DuVernay, you know, since they left. Um, but yeah, I think that there's no reason to not think that Bijan John Robinson is going to be the workhorse. You know, if he can stay healthy this season, I think the best way that you take the pressure, as we've talked about off of a, first time starting quarterback is to have a good running game and Bijan Robinson absolutely has the tools that can present that i think all of us last season um all of us media members i mean we you know we were seldom able to go to all of the games because of social distancing practices. So we all had to kind of like, you know, switch off the games, but I swear every single game that I did cover in person, everybody in the press box was talking about how the hell is this guy on the sideline? Like anytime he touches the ball, you know, you're going to get a substantial number of yards, if not break away for a touchdown yet Tom Herman being the smartest man in the room, you know, he uh, made sure that he, you know, he basically shot himself in the foot with that. And I understand that he was a true freshman, you know, wasn't an early enrollee, didn't go through spring, didn't go through a full normal off season. But when you have this type of talented player, you don't put them on the sideline unless you want to hurt your career. You don't put them on the sideline. And I think that Steve Sarkeesian in his history, as you mentioned, you know, the the amount of 1,000 yard rushers that he has produced as a head coach, plus, you know, what Alabama has put on the field when he was the offensive coordinator and the play caller there. I mean, there's no reason in my opinion to think that this cannot be, this will, will be a situation where Bijan Rumson is limited in any capacity. I really don't think Texas fans are going to be like, why the hell is he not on the field? I just don't see that being the case anymore. And this is the type of guy who can put the team on his shoulders and really take a team to a win. And that's something that Texas is losing in not having Sam Ellinger, you know, Sam Ellinger, love him, hate him, whatever it is, he was a type of player who could put the team on his shoulders. And really, I mean, the, the whole reason that the Oklahoma game went into four overtimes because Sam Ellinger basically took over and they're losing that. But I really do think that B. John Robinson can be that in, you know, his true sophomore year in year one of the Steve Sarkeesian era. And I think Texas fans will see that. So in my opinion, Chip, I totally agree. There's no reason to think that this is going to be, you know, a 700 yard rusher, I think it's going to be well over a thousand, which as you mentioned, would be the first time since Deontay Foreman in 2016.
0: Well, I think a good comparison is Chris Polk, Chris Polk, who was a sophomore running back at Washington when Sark, um, the exact same circumstance as Bijan Robinson and Polk uh, carried it 226 times in 2009 for 1113 yards, 4.9 a carry, five touchdowns, 25 catches for 171 yards. Then in his junior season, he carried it 260 times, ran for uh, 1,415 yards, nine touchdowns. And then in his final year at Washington, 293 carries for 1,488 yards and 12 touchdowns. So it'll be interesting to see what, like, which of those numbers is more suited for for Bijan, or what you know, the number of carries. Is it closer to two twenty five? Is it closer to two sixty? Is it closer to three hundred? Because he had Bishop Sankey at Washington, and. Sankey carried it 327 times in one season for 1,870 yards and 20 touchdowns. That was in Sark's final year at Washington. So he is not afraid to put the load on the running back. And part of that is because his passing game and his RPO game is so effective. The defense doesn't know what's coming. So it's not like, these guys are running 327 times into a cloud of dust into a pile. These, I mean, Sankey averaged 5.7 yards per carry in the season where he carried it 327 times. So Sark is doing a good job of keeping the defense off balance in terms of when to run, when to throw it in the RPO game, when you're averaging 5.7 a carry and you're, you're, running back is carrying it 327 times. Remember the 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 most that Texas has had someone carrying the football the last 4 years has been around 164 carries. Mm-hmm. So and that usually was Sam Ellinger. Right. And last year, as we mentioned, Bijan Robinson only got 86 carries. So think about that. I mean, his load could triple in you know, in his sophomore season. And based on everything we saw last year, that should make Texas fans ecstatic because Bijan has proven to be durable. And, you know, he's a big, strong kid with great vision, ability to cut uh, great hands. So I just think this is this is a story that it's like, you know, a stock that you, you see, it just has it all together on its balance sheet and you just want to pour money into it. I I think Bijan Robinson talking to the NFL scouts I talked to, I mean, they love this guy that the first hit doesn't bring him down. He doesn't go down from side tackles. You have to square this guy up or you're, you know, he's going to drag you around for a while. So we haven't talked about someone like that since really Deontay Foreman in 2016. And, and think about it, Taylor, Texas had a string of, of thousand yard rushers, um, from, you know, the mid nineties into the two thousands ending with Jamal Charles and then poof, nothing until Deontay Foreman in 2016. I mean, it's been, uh, it's been way too long at a school that's known for its, for its running backs.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned a good point, Chip, if you know, if Bijan Robinson, if if Steve Sarkeesian goes the route that he has when he's been a head coach elsewhere with running backs, it would literally, as you said, it would tri- triple his amount of carries. Well, even in just 86 carries, he rushed for a total of 703 yards. And so, triple that number, it's a 2,000 yard rusher that Texas could have uh, again for the second time since, or first time since. Um, Deontay Foreman, but there's yeah, I mean, this is this is a situation at Texas that needs to change. You know, I mean, it was good that Tom Herman had Sam Ellinger and that he could run the ball. You don't want that. You know, I mean, his senior it's year he couldn't do that. Yeah, no, and it's Sam's senior year, he he couldn't even practice a lot of times because he was taking a beating out there. And so you don't want that for your quarterback. Um, when you have a capable running back like this, I think that this is a situation where As you put very well, if you have not looked at the Morning Brew from Wednesday that Chip put out, it's it's a great kind of diaphragm or diagram of uh, what um, you know Steve Sarkeesian has done with running backs. I think Texas fans should probably assume that that's going to be the case, Chip, because you know not just because Bijan is Bijan, but also because he can make the players around him better and kind of hide some of the deficiencies or some of the early season you know, ups and downs that happen when you have a first time starting quarterback, you know, taking the ball and being the one that touches it every single time. I think that Bijan's totally capable to really kind of, like how we talked about last week, Colt McCoy really hid the deficiencies along the offensive line. I think Bijan Robinson can really hide any type of early season woes that, or, you know, just kind of ups and downs that the, the offense will go through with a lot of new first time starters out there.
0: Yeah, Dan Neal joked all the time, that blocking for Ricky Williams and priest Holmes. Now Dan is on the ballot for the college football hall of fame. So he didn't miss too many blocks, but he, he's, you know, he said, when you have backs like that, you can completely blow your assignment and still end up with an explosive run because the guys behind you can make guys miss from point blank range. And we saw that, you know, I hate to keep bringing up our man, Brendan Schooler. Um, but you know, Schooler was right there, had had him sort of at point blank range, and Bijan was able to juke him and and get into the end zone. So that's that's what the special ones do. I covered the Cowboys when Emmett Smith broke the you know all-time rushing record of Walter Payton. Emmett Smith is not a fast guy. What he is is unbelievable at being able to shift his weight. And make guys miss from point blank range. Guys had him squared up in the hole, and Emmett Smith was able to shift his weight, make them miss, and then go get four, five, six, sometimes more yards. And he stayed healthy. And that's why he's the all time leading rusher in NFL history. So there's a lot to get excited about as a Texas fan when you're talking about Bijan Robinson. In a Steve Sarkeesian offense, you know, we always, well, when Tom Herman got hired, he was the offensive guy. He was the guy who helped Ohio state win the national championship in 2014 with three different quarterbacks. And he adjusted the offense for each guy. And of course they had Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who was no slouch, but everyone, you know, we all kept looking at Herman and saying, okay, you know, what an offensive innovator. And then he didn't call the plays. He hires Tim Beck to be the offensive coordinator when he could have hired anyone. And, and we didn't see the offense was terrible. His first year, terrible. I'll, I'll never forget the three and out of thon against Oklahoma state. When the defense played a masterpiece, I mean, it was 10, 10, at the end of regulation and that was the number one scoring offense in the country at that time Oklahoma State with Mason Rudolph and on and on and you're just going what is happening here like right where's the offensive ingenuity and then with Steve Sarkeesian and again I'm going to refer you back to the Rick Neuheisel podcast because Neuheisel is an offensive minded head coach played the quarterback position like Sarkeesian And talked about how Sarkeesian has not just RPO. He has triple option with the way that he does it. He'll he's got the run option. He's got multiple passing options per play. And that's where the the quarterback knows what he's looking at, has the defense on its heels. And this is what Lincoln Riley does too. We just didn't see that with Tom Herman. And so, It didn't evolve, and I think that's the cool thing about what you're seeing from Lincoln Riley and and Steve Sarkeesian is that they keep evolving this stuff. And every year, everyone's like, okay, film every Oklahoma game. We got to see what Lincoln Riley's doing. I mean, I've joked. I had a coach, a head coach tell me that he was having his staff record OU, watch OU film because because they were – you know he, he said our offense is just making out with the girl on the first date, and Lincoln Riley's offense is swinging with her from the chandelier. And we got to get going here. And and that's what's gonna be really fun, Taylor, with, with Lincoln Riley and Steve Sarkisian, in the same conference, and and a guy like Bijan Robinson, only a sophomore, as my man Jackson would say. So Texas fans gonna get. Bijan for at least two seasons Taylor
1: yeah for sure and I you know I think that the one thing that Lincoln Riley has done and I'm I'm really happy that Steve Sarkeesian is doing this in year one you know I think a lot of new or young first you know head coaches like how Tom Herman was almost feels like they can't call plays and it's like Do what you did to get to this level, you know, and it's okay if you're the head coach and you're calling plays, that's not a knock against your offense coordinators, not a knock against anybody else. It's just proving that you got to this place because you were able to so do so well and be so efficient at calling plays. And, you know, I know Jimbo Fisher does that at Texas A&M too, whether I know, you know, Longhorn fans hate Aggies, but like, it's a good thing. If you have a head coach who's willing to be like, no, I'm not, I'm going to take full accountability for how the plays are called for how the, especially on offense, how the offensive production is because he's the person in charge. That was one thing with Tom Herman. I thought that he really made a huge, huge mistake doing is he kind of took his hands off of, you know, the whole thing that got him the job at Texas and did not call the plays initially And then once he started to, he had so many other responsibilities and he was kind of out of the game, I think for a while that he was not, as you mentioned, he was not being innovative. He was not really, um, you know, the offense wasn't progressing or throwing in new wrinkles or doing anything like that. And I think that he just kind of got a little bit too relaxed and thought, oh, it worked when I took over play calling for Tim Beck, you know, midway through 2018, I'm going to able to outsmart these people by doing the same plays no and I don't think that Steve Sarkisian will do that and that's just like I think it's a good like I, I can't wait chip for these Texas OU games for the next several years between Lincoln Riley and Steve Sarkisian I know my most probably defensive coordinators would be shaking in their boots having to go yeah. against both of those type of offenses when you have those type of offensive minds you know and game planning for that game I mean I think that this is going to be a really exciting time for Texas OU Um, for, you know, the foreseeable future, but I do like that's, that was one thing that when Steve Sarkeesian said, you know, obviously I'm going to take input, but I'm going to call the offense. It's like, good, good. You got the head coaching job at Texas because of how innovative your offense has been. Just like Lincoln Riley, he got, you know, took over for Bob Stoops, even though he was already on the staff, he kept calling the plays because he was so good at calling the plays. So I think that's something that should, you know, I think some people may overlook it, but I do think that, um, that's a huge advantage in my opinion that Texas has a head coach currently that's willing to kind of take that Lincoln Riley, you know, approach and the even Jimbo Fisher approach saying, this is my offense. It's going to be my offense and I'm going to take you know, accountability for it.
0: Yeah. And, and the challenge is, can you manage the whole team while you're remaining in charge of one half of the, of the side of the football? And that's, that's the thing that, um, you know, Lincoln Riley has shown he can manage the whole situation. He manages the clock. Well, he has hired his defensive. I mean, he, he was told he had to keep Mike Stoops when Bob Stoops handed him the keys at Oklahoma. And he did. And then when it got to the point where Texas beat him in that 48 45 shootout in, um, in 18, he, you know, Stoops, Mike Stoops stepped down right then and there. And he brings in Alex Grinch and Oklahoma's defense took a big step forward. So I think again, Pete Kwiatkowski, this dude knows what he's doing. He he knows what's up against the air raid. He's completely shut it down. Now people talk about, Oh, Oklahoma's air raid. Yeah. But they're not, they are run. They're doing things that no one else is doing. They're, they're running air raid out of a gap scheme with counter tray as their primary running play. And that is, that is man block. You're pulling people, you know, most of the air raid was out of zone, you know, zone blocking schemes, wide splits, the Mike Leach stuff, Lincoln and Bill Biedenbaugh, the offensive line coach at Oklahoma have totally turned it on its head and what's interesting to me is you're not seeing a bunch of people copy it. Right. And you'd think that more and more and more people would be trying to base, um, you know, their RPO game off of, out of, out of a gap scheme, out of man blocking out of the counter tray. I love the counter play because man, you're, you're pulling guys, they get to go kick someone out and, um, every time you pull, that's such a decoy too. Like every time you pull linemen, the first key to the defensive line is, oh, it's a running play, and then it's not, and so it's just a great misdirection. It's it's obviously been well designed. Oklahoma's led the Big Twelve in scoring every year since Lincoln Riley took over. So it's good. I, I agree with you. That was a really really long rambling way of saying I agree to watching uh steve sarkeesian and lincoln riley go at it all right taylor um i think we uh are we ready for some i mean we're gonna are we gonna address jericho sims in love it or leave it or should we touch on that now
1: Uh, i think we'll address it in love it or leave it so uh you'll definitely want to stick around for love it or leave it we're going to take a really quick break but we will return soon with some more football talk plus jericho sims entering the NBA draft without an agent. So stay tuned. We will be right back. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. Did you expect someone else? You ready for some love it or leave it?
0: Let's do it.
1: righty. My first one for you is love it or leave it. A night game in Arkansas on September 11th is not as bad as you're making it out to be. No,
0: it is as bad yes. as I'm making it
1: out to be. Okay? <laughs> had to call it out. I'm sorry. I had to call it out. <laughs> Listen,
0: I'm old. If I'm wrong and we come back and record on September 12th or 13th or whatever, and Texas has demolished Arkansas and everybody's like, geez, Chip, you had us all freaked out. I'll say, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, that, that, too much has happened in the past for me to have not been a little bit nervous about that, you know, six o'clock kickoff for Texas, blah, blah, blah and Fayetteville. And, and so, but all I have is what I've experienced and I just remember 2004. Like you were the one who brought up what 20, wherever, whenever that Texas Bowl was. Where Texas
1: 2014,
0: bowl, 59 yards of offense. That was Charlie's only bowl game. What a disaster! Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I I was I was like right back to Fayetteville. I went <laughs> right to 2004 because I just remember, oh my gosh, they're gonna lose this game. They're the number seven team in the country. They got Vince Young, and and oh my gosh, uh, anyway, I think it is. I'm 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 going to leave that because it is as bad or scary as I'm making it out to be this six o'clock game at Arkansas on September 11th. Taylor, what do you say?
1: I am going to love this and say you may be making it out to be a little bit bigger than it is. However, in saying that, I don't want people to think that I think that this is an easy win either. You know, I think that Chip is, I think it's a little PTSD that you're dealing with here because you almost witnessed a loss, you know, in 2004. Um, And so I do, I think that maybe, maybe, you know, there's certain things that you can't really move past. And I think that's kind of one of yours, but in saying that I do love this, that you're making a bigger deal out of it. I want to be very clear that I do think that Texas can't go into this game um, you know, thinking that they're going to come out with a, just a dominant win because of the setting in Fayetteville, former, you know, rival. Arkansas fans are crazy. Uh, they love their school, you know, as we had mentioned in the earlier part, you know, just even like Jerry Jones. I mean, isn't the whole reason why Arkansas and Texas a play at Jerry World? Because Jerry's like, oh, no, that's happening here. Like, I mean, they're, they're a proud fan base. And so, you know, that type of atmosphere at night could be be definitely a place where Texas could, you know, kind of stumble over their own feet. But from just the look at the teams, I think that Texas should, should win that game. So I think Chip, I have to disagree with you on this one a little bit, at least at this point now, you know, if, Texas comes out and lays an egg against Louisiana and gets absolutely destroyed or something. I probably would be like, oh, Chip's been right all year, like all summer. He's been right. So <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll also eat crow there too. So I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> all
0: right. That's all right. A, a tricky one. All right. Love it or leave it. Number two.
1: Number two is I know I'm probably going to butcher this guy's name. So I apologize in advance, but SEC network analyst Cole. Kubilek said so LSU quarterback, TJ Finley, who is looking to transfer has Texas in his sights. In addition to Auburn, Penn state, Alabama, and Florida Finley, who completed 57% of his passes with five touchdowns and five interceptions makes sense for Texas to pick up, love it or leave it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this. I'm going to leave this. And I, uh, first of all, Texas, both, Hudson Card and Casey Thompson are better than this guy. I I I looked at some of his film and I, I get LSU was was really rough last year coming off the national championship season without Joe Brady. But you know, Steve Ensminger was supposed to be the offensive coordinator the whole time, right? And Joe Brady was just the passing game coordinator. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Joe Brady sure as hell meant a lot to that offense as passing game coordinator. Uh, If, if he was just the passing game coordinator, because that LSU offense was terrible. And, and TJ Finley, 57% completion, five touchdowns, five interceptions. This doesn't feel like a, a positive addition. I know he's talking about being recruited heavily by Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, but I think, Steve Sarkeesian knows he's got two really talented quarterbacks. And then he's got Charles, Wright, The freshman who's learning the ways of college football and will end up being a decent backup at some point this year because he'll figure out where his classes are and where to go to the bathroom and what, how to go to a college meeting and, and all that in addition to the football. You don't want to load up a freshman, but anyway, I, I, you don't bring this guy in. I I wouldn't bring in any quarterback right now, unless it was Joe Burrow, you know, from Ohio state or something, which again, Tom Herman, you recruited Joe Burrow to Ohio state and you didn't think of bringing it. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's a dicey game. It's a really dicey game. And Steve Sarkeesian knows he's walking a tightrope right now with, the Casey Thompson Hudson card situation. Cause he talked about it, the portals right there and the whole uh, one-time transfer rule looks like it's going to get approved. It hasn't yet, but um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this. Don't, don't bring in a transfer quarterback. Certainly not TJ Finley from LSU Taylor. What do you say?
1: I agree. I'm going to leave this too. And you know, I think the biggest thing is Steve Sarkeesian as you you know, mentioned he already has two viable quarterbacks at his disposal. Steve Sarkisian, being an offensive minded head coach, I don't think would have taken over the Texas job when he ha- he probably would have been, you know, a, a hot commodity for a lot of, you know, head coaching op- openings, um, you know, after the 2020 season. And so I don't think he would have taken the job if he didn't think that he had at least some quarterbacks to use because he is an offensive minded coach. And he's already talked about if you said he's kind of walking the tightrope right now with making sure to keep, you need, he needs both Hudson Card and Casey Thompson. He definitely what Texas, the last thing that Texas would need is one of them or you know, whoever, you know, hope, God forbid, both enter the transfer portal. And I think if you bring in a transfer quarterback, you could run the risk of losing both of those guys, if not one, if not both, you know? So I think that um, you know, if there was, if there was like a Justin Fields, you know, available or something like that, sure. Bring him in. Cause you think, yeah, I think you can win with that, but you don't, I don't think you risk it on the hope that, you know, the, the five touchdowns, five interceptions was just an anomaly. And this is a standout kid and who knows, maybe, maybe TJ Finley will prove the doubters wrong, but at Texas, I think the Longhorns have enough viable options in that quarterback room that bring in an additional transfer quarterback that, you know, is going to expect to start from day one is the way that you blow up a quarterback room. So I'm going to say that I am going to leave this and agree with you that this does not make sense for Texas.
0: Yeah. And Steve Sarkeesian knows what he's looking at at the quarterback situation. And, and I believe him when he says, I think we have two really talented quarterbacks. They, they are. I mean, I think these guys can both get it done for Texas. And that's, that's what makes it all the more intriguing. And if you can hang on to both, then you're finally in a situation like the other big time programs have been where you have, you know, JT Barrett with Joe Burrow sitting there waiting. You have, you know, um, uh, oh heck Jalen hurts and, and then Tua a and then Mac Jones. Yeah. And they're all staying with the program because they know my time is coming. If I keep competing and doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to get to play in a great offense and get elevated. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where Texas has to get to. And I think that Hudson card and Casey Thompson understand this, but it's, it is obviously different for Casey Thompson. Who's been here three years competing felt like he was better than Sam Ellinger last year and didn't get a shot to, to where he's now like, okay, you're being straight up with me. Right. I'm, I'm getting a fair chance to compete here. Right. Yeah. So it's uh it's a tenuous situation, but it's also an exciting one. If, if Sarkeesian can manage it the way that they managed it at Alabama.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. All, All right. right. I have one more for you. We're going to switch focus to basketball here. Texas senior forward Jericho Sims has entered the NBA draft without an agent. You think he'll end up returning to Texas to play for Chris Beard, love it or leave it.
0: You know, the whole time I've thought, well, let me, let me just say since the season ended, if, if Shaka smart was still the coach here, he was gone. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that it took, I mean, the deadline is May 23rd. It's May 19th. So he waited till five days before the deadline to go in without an agent tells me, man, there's a chance. It's like dumb and dumber. You
1: know? You're saying like, there's a chance. <laughs>
0: you're saying there's a chance. Well, look, the the word that I heard after the season was that Coleman and Sims didn't know if they would be drafted. They would just go play internationally and get on with their pro careers and try and do what you know pj tucker did and work their way back toward the nba from playing internationally and and so and that's not totally fair because pj did get a sniff in the nba then went international then came back and now he's the man but the fact that i think beard or at least jericho sims is hearing that well you know what may not be an NBA draft pick right now, even though he has some measurables that that would maybe cause a team in the second round. There's only two rounds, but maybe cause a team in the second round to take a flyer on him. He could come back, kill it with Chris Beard, maybe have all kinds of success as a team become more high profile and become a first round draft pick like Jackson Hayes and, and, you know, Jared Allen and, he's not Mo Bamba, but more like Jackson Hayes and really increase the value and not have to go play internationally and try and work his way. So all, all the way up to this point, I would say I'm, I, I'd leave it, but I'm going to, I'm going to love it. I'm, I'm going to say that Jericho Sims You know, now if he goes into the draft and hears from a team that they love him, he'll probably stay in the draft. But, you know, I'll just say that I'll, I'll leave it. Well, wait, if I love it, he's coming back, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to love it and say that, you know, he comes back and really gets after it on a talented team. Now he's playing with Timmy Allen. He's playing with Dylan DeZue. And he's still got his boys, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey, you know, um, Brock Cunningham. They're going to try and make Jace Febris a complete player. You know, you got Devin Askew, the point guard from Kentucky. I mean, there's some excitement now. Plus, you're playing for Chris Beard. All right. I've talked myself into it, Taylor. I'm going to (laughs) love it. How about you?
1: I'm gonna love it too. I think I think anytime a player doesn't hire an agent means that they're usually 50 50. As you said, there could be a team out there that loves Jericho Sims and it could make totally change that. But I do think the fact that the timeline, as you had mentioned, that he waited as long as he did to even announce that he's going to enter the NBA draft, but then not hiring an agent, I think that that to me kind of shows that Chris Beard has done a really good job of just being like, Hey, you know, we're here. You have a spot here. You should probably return because we're going to be building something and you're going to have, you know, a higher profile, probably going into next year's draft, but, you know, take all the time you need. And, you know, if you want to enter the NBA draft or enter your name into it before, you know, pulling it out. Like, I think that that reading the tea leaves is I would say that that's probably the, the way that this has gone. So I'm going to agree and I'm going to love it and say, that barring a team absolutely loving Jericho Sims and somehow, you know, swooping in and making him a first round selection or something like that, I think he's going to return to Texas.
0: Yeah, and he doesn't have great range. You know, that's that's something he can develop. Chris Beard right. can work with him on. He's more of a garbage man, which look, you need guys who can rebound in the NBA. You don't need a bunch of scorers. If you have three elite scorers like the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, they don't need Jericho Sims, you know, taking shots. They need him grabbing rebounds and putting the ball back or dunking it. So, I, you know, I'm not saying range is everything, but, you know, he could increase his range a little bit.
1: Right, for sure.
0: All right, good stuff. Good stuff today on the Flagship Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed yourselves as much as we did And uh, make sure you check out the flagship podcast interviews every Monday this week's uh, with Rick Neuheisel. Again, some really interesting things to think about uh, as he puts on his head coaching hat and talks about his friend, Steve Sarkeesian. And, you know, I mean, get over to Horns 24-7. If you're not an annual member, that's the way to go so that you're getting VIP access to all the team sites on the best uh, team network in college athletics that of course is 24 seven sports, best recruiting analyst, best, everything kidding me. Let's go. And, uh, and you know, iTunes a little five-star rating would, would not, uh, would not hurt. So uh, for Taylor Estes, the managing editor at horns 24 seven, I am chip Brown. Thanks so much for listening to the flagship podcast. And until next time, stay safe and keep the faith.